Well, guys, would you grab hold of a Bible and join us this morning in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 is where we are. We are doing a verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 John. We've been out of it for a couple weeks for the holidays, and I'm just really glad to be back. I'm hoping that you are as well. And so we're picking it up where we left off. We're joining here in 1 John chapter 2. If you have a Bible, make your way there again. If you don't, there's Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front. They have a page number there. If you want to use an electronic device, you can use that as well. One way or another, we're just wanting you to be with us in a way that the Word of God is in front of you so that God would speak to you through that. Now, we want that here, but if you're in our overflow or you're joining us online, would you hear the same invitation? If you haven't already done so, get a Bible, grab a Bible, open it up so that you're listening, you're seeing, and that God would work in you and in me and all of us through His Word. We need that. We need Him to do that, and we're longing that today would be a way that He does that. So let's go to Him right now. We're going to take a moment and pray, as we often do, as we head towards the Word of God. And I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray as well, that you would ask God to speak to you through this morning. I find myself thinking about it. Some of you have been reading with us in 1 Samuel in our reading, and you might remember just a couple chapters back, or, well, a number of chapters back, when, when Eli was there and Samuel was a young boy and he was just beginning, and Eli basically gave him instruction that he was to go before God and just say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. And, and God did. God was a speaking God, and he spoke. And in many ways, that's what I'm inviting you to do right now, just to come to him and say, God, I'm listening. I, I want to hear you this morning. And I invite you to tell him that right now, mean that, and that we just be in a place that God would speak to us in this space this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, you are a God who's speaking. I think about the power of the Word of God that you speak through. Think about your faithfulness, and I know this. That doesn't, that doesn't ever flow. You're a God who would speak if we would hear. So God, in the words of Eli to Samuel, I just pray that you'd meet us, that we would be able to say, Lord, I'm listening. I'm I'm, I'm here to hear what you have to say. Lord, would you make that so? Anything that would make that difficult right now, if we just need to be touched physically, that you would refresh and renew. If it's emotionally, spiritually, that you would just breathe into us so that right at this moment, we are able to hear you. Lord, anything that would distract or turn our hearts or minds away, would you just rescue from And would you help us to hear what you have for each one of us individually? Would you work that in our lives as together we seek your face? We do that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Question for you as we begin. Can something be authentically new and yet old at the same time? Can something be both old and brand new at the same time. Well, let's just be entirely clear with you. No, not in itself, not in its genuineness. There's no way to get that. Now, I know some of you are like really quick, and you're like, well, Jim, well, if, what if it's new to me? Like I go and I get an old car, and now it's my new car, then it's old. And new. Well, you know, that's new to you, but it's still not genuinely new itself. I mean, it's still an old car. I mean, it, just, it, it doesn't make it a new car just because it's new to you. In itself, it can't be. If it's old, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not old. Yet, God wants to hold to you and I something that is both old and brand new at the same time, which is dynamically, wonderfully possible only in Him this morning. Let's notice it. Why don't you take your Bibles there and you get to see it with me. We began in verse 7 this morning where it just says it this way. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word, which you've heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, well, let's walk around, around this for a moment. He says, well, it's an old commandment. There's nothing brand new. It's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment. What commandment are we talking about? Well, let me just say it in the most simple way. We absolutely know what it is. It's the commandment that Jesus gave that called you and I to be people that love one another. 
Yeah, this was, again, the night before Jesus went to the cross, same time where he's kind of creating that communion kind of atmosphere that we celebrated this morning. And in that, at the upper room, there with the disciples, he instructs them, and he tells them in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. I wish I could help you feel it. I wish you could almost imagine. It was brand new. It's a, it's Jesus says, I have something that's never existed before. It's a brand new thing that's taking place here. John, who is the, the apostle who writes the book of 1 John, now decades later, is still writing about that. I have to believe it must have been one of those moments that when Jesus said it, you could have just almost felt it in the room, almost in an earth shadow, like, okay, this is, wow. It's a brand new commandment to love one another. It's the call that Jesus is speaking about. It's the aim that he has for our lives. Yet, John, as he's telling it to us, he says, though it's a new commandment, it's also an old commandment. So let's just walk that through for a moment. It's an old commandment. How so? Well, read it again there in verse 7. So you see it in the text. Brethren, that is writing to Christians, brothers and sisters, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word, which you have heard from the beginning. It says this is an old commandment. It's not, it's, never, it's not like it's never been understood or heard before. It's an old commandment that's given to us. It's an old commandment that is speaking to our lives. Where so? Well, it's the word of God. That's what he says. He says, you've heard this in the word. This is that which had been present from the beginning of the opening of scriptures all the way through the Old Testament. Now I find myself thinking about that and I think about that encounter that Jesus has where the man comes to him and says, teacher, uh, which is the great commandment in the law? Like we look back at the Old Testament, what's the most important thing that we need to know, he asks. And you guys know the answer, right? Jesus said to him, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So Jesus is quoting. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He says the most important commandment in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is this place where God is calling us to love God. That's the greatest thing. That's the highest call in our life. It's the first and great commandment. But then Jesus adds to it. And he said in the second commandment, or the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I want you to get this. You're going to love others. You're going to love your neighbor. And he's quoting again from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus 19 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Like, I get to tell, this is what I want for your life. This is my plan. This is what I, I have for you. And so Jesus is able to say, hey, that's the second commandment. Now, as he articulates this, he tells us, as he looks at these two things, he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, that concept of law and prophets, in a simple way, it's your entire Old Testament. The law is the Torah, beginning in Genesis, all the way through the minor prophets. And Jesus is, in a sense, saying everything that was in this, everything that's in the Bible, everything that's in that Old Testament, it is just can be compacted into two things. Love God, love people. That's everything. Do this and you have the whole deal. Do this and you have everything that God is really doing. Everything else becomes almost how do you do that? But the heart of it is that. And so again, we get it. When we think about this call to love one another, it's not like it's never been heard before. It's not like the disciples heard that and go, I have never heard that. I never ever heard that. I mean, you, you guys are here this morning. I don't think anybody's just like, I went to church and they said love one another. Never heard that before. Just never, I mean, I don't think it's like, wait, we've heard that. I mean, we know that it's been there. It's a part of it. It's scripture. In fact, we need to understand that was always God's intention. That was always what God wanted. By saying it's an old commandment helps us understand that this was never plan B. This was never, you know, if something else, this was always what God wanted. And really, if that's what's taking place, it fulfills it. I mean, if that's what would take in place, love becomes the heart of obedience. Uh, Paul helps us kind of think this through a little bit in Romans 13 when he says it this way. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
says, okay, that which binds you, that which compels you, let love be the thing that compels you, that you're not under other bondage that would control your life. It would be love that controls you. And he goes, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. Some of you recognize right away, that's the Ten Commandments. It's the second half of the Ten Commandments. In many ways, the Ten Commandments can be divided into love God and love people. It's about a relationship with God, a relationship with people. And so he takes the ones that are about people. He says, all these ones that are about people, if you have any of them, this whole, you know, not committing adultery, not murdering, all those, and then Paul just adds to it, and if there's any other commandment. I mean, if you want to think about anything else, all of them, they are summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbors yourself. All of that is said in this simple thought that if we love, we wouldn't do those things. If love was that which was the controlling factor, it wouldn't be what we do. Love, he says, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love causes that. Love is that that works that. That's what God is aiming for. That's something that has always been the plan, and it's certainly so for us again, that we come to it and we hear it and say, I get it. Now, again, I hope you do. I hope you understand right now. That has always been what God wants. Always. It's the old commandment. Nothing's changed in this. He means it. He means it for all of us. It's been there. It's an old commandment. But it's also a new commandment. It's also brand new. How so? Well, let's go back and read it. Pick it up in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him... And in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Wow. So it's a new commandment. It's a brand new commandment that didn't exist before. How so? What makes this command that Jesus shared with the disciples, that, you know, new commandment I'm giving to you, love one another, how is it that that's a new commandment when it was actually in the Old Testament? What would make it new? Well, it's new in a number of ways. One of the ways that it's new is it's new in the person of Christ. It's new in the revelation that Jesus shows us, that Jesus himself becomes the thing that shows us and identifies what that is for us. Again, I like the way it just says it. Which thing is true in him? Again, so you see it in the text, see it there again in verse 8. He says it this way, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. Excuse me, that's 7 verse 8. Again, a new commandment, I write to you, which thing is true in him? He says it's a new commandment, and it's true, it's authentic, it's real in him, that Jesus is the one who makes this known, real. We might say it this way, that Jesus unpacks for us fully the love of God, that that picture of what love is had never, ever been seen in our world before Jesus so clearly. No man, no woman had ever walked in it. Everybody was a, a failed example of what God would long for for our lives, but Jesus comes, and he fully displays what God wants. He fully displays God, so that Jesus would say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen God. So he shows us the love of God. It's in Christ, in who he is, in his death and resurrection specifically, that we really get a full glimpse of what love looks like. And think about it this way. In Romans chapter 5, it gives it to us this way. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we took part in communion this morning, and I don't know if this ever just kind of meets you in that. God says, I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to demonstrate to you my love. The fullness of the love of God is revealed to us, and that he gave his son to die on the cross for us, that Jesus is that one who, while we were still sinners, he died for us. God says, hey, if you want to see love, this is it. This is it in its fullness. That's an amazing thing. I don't know where that lands with you, but I want to tell you it's powerful. You know, I found myself thinking about it as I was thinking about it this week. Um, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I got saved in my teenage years, and so I had a lot of learning to do uh, in the midst of it. And I remember, uh, you know, fairly early as a Christian, someone gave me one of these little things kind of like a, called a cross in your pocket. I don't know if any of you has ever had those, or maybe you have one even now. It was this goofy little thing, but it had this little saying, and I just want to tell you it's cheesy, it's really, really cheesy, but it works. For me. It kind of had this little card and just said, you know, I asked God, you know, how much do, do you love me? 
And he answered and spread his arms open wide and died on the cross for me and said, you know, this is how much I love you. And I remember just thinking about it, and it's like, that is so cheesy. And then I thought, it's really, really good. I mean, it's like what I needed to know. Because see, here's what I do. I do this really dumb thing that sometimes I value God's love for me in silly little things. You know, like, I got a good parking place. God loves me. You know, it is really, really good. It's like, then you don't get a parking place. It's like, like that's the full display of the love of God. It's like, that is not it, you know? I mean, the, the greatest display of the love of God is in the cross. And if you're wanting to know that God loves you, then you got to see it there. That Jesus looked at you and goes, I know you. You're a sinner. I'll die for you. Why, you are still sinners. I'm laying my life down for you. If you want to know love, you see it in Jesus. In fact, I think about it this way. It's going to tell us this in chapter 3 of 1 John. It says it this way, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Like we wouldn't even know what it is. We, we would never be able to understand what love is if Jesus didn't show it to us because it was never seen anywhere else. Jesus alone gives that to us. In fact, Jesus would say that that same night there before the cross. He says it in John 15, greater love has no one than this than to lay down in one's life for his friends. And in that sense, he's the fulfillment of it. He says there's nothing, nothing greater than this. There's not a bigger picture. There's not a better display of the love of God than what's happening right here in Jesus dying on the cross for us. And so now we have this full picture, this full display of the love of God as if we could never have seen it any other way. So it's brand new in Christ because it, could never, it was never seen before. It, it, it was new in quality. It was new in its picture and its reality. Now, I need to be clear on this because you need to know that not only so you value the love of God, not only so you say, okay, I'm so glad that God loves me and, and it is found in the cross, that's true, but part of the point of what Jesus is saying in this is it's meant to be an example for us. See, he told us that when he gave it the commandment, John 13 again. This is a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, when you can see how I love you, when you can get it that I love you, go and do that for others. When you, when you really grasp that what it is that God loves you, it's meant to be something that we see the incredible value of it, we see the greatness of it, and we long for it. In fact, Jesus would say it again just in the next chapter. It says, this is my commitment, that you love one another as I've loved you. When you get it in me, do the same thing. I gave you part of the passage there in chapter 3 of 1 John a moment ago. Let me continue it. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That we are both to be valuing God's love in the cross and then to say, God, that's the kind of love I want to have the self-sacrificial, this laying my life down for other people, that becomes the things that he would have for us. That's the way he wants it to work. There's so many passages that talk about this, by the way. I literally could quote just dozens and dozens of passages. Let me give you one more. In Ephesians, God would tell it to us this way. And walk in love, as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He says, here's the thing, I want you guys to be a loving people. I want you to walk in love. What kind of love? The same love that Jesus had. That's your standard. That's your standard. That's what this looks like. And so we have this brand new commandment, this new love that has never been seen in the world up to that point in time, now in display in Jesus, and it's meant to be an example for us. Now, that's just powerful. I mean, I don't know if you can kind of get that. It's bigger than I can put into words. Um, sometimes it just helps to even change it into another way. You know, since we're trying to figure out what love is, and then God gives us a definition of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, most of you know it, it is a, a passage where God defines, gives a biblical definition to what love is, what his definition of love would be. He says it to us this way, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's a great definition. I mean, you can just kind of look at that, and I want to tell you it's a, a way we say, okay, that's what God says love is. But let's think through what we've been talking about this morning. Love is Jesus. 
Jesus is the best display of God's love in the world. He's the full definition of it, so much so you could take the word love out of this passage and put Jesus' name in there and, and not miss a beat. It fits in that way. In fact, let's just do that. We'll kind of take love out, we'll put Jesus in there, and we could say, okay, yeah, this is true of Jesus. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity. Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things. Jesus hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. Absolutely true. We look, yep, that's, Jesus is the definition of love. That is really, really good for us to know. It's really, really good for us to understand. But I think you're tracking with me. At least I hope so. It's not meant to stay there. He says, okay, the, when you see my love, do that. I want you to love each other the way that I've loved you. So what should be able to happen is we should be able to put our own names into this passage. That we'd be able to say, you know, Jim suffers long and is kind. I can't even get past it. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, man, like, I just, I, I feel like I fell so short for it. But I could put it as kind of like a should, you know, Jesus, you know, Jim should suffer long and is kind. Jim should not envy. Jim should not parade himself. But I'm telling you, that's the point. If I see the love of God really revealed, it's, it's not just so I value his love, but I long for that love. Like, God, I want, I want to show the world that love. I mean, your love. I mean, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that's what this is. This new commandment is a love that has been revealed in Jesus that's meant to be revealed in us. It's this new commandment that's on display in Christ and is now meant to be continuing to be revealed in us. Really, really good news. By the way, it's probably worth just saying it here. Love. We are supposed to love everybody. I mean, I just want to make that really, really clear. You know, love God, love people, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the, when Jesus gave that, the, you know, le, the legalistic Pharisees, well, you know, who really is your neighbor? Like, you don't really mean everybody. And Jesus like, I really mean everybody. So much so that he would tell us that we are not just to love our friends, but we're also to love all the way to our enemies. So certainly when we think about love, there is no, you know, pick and choose. Like, well, you know, I love some. <laughs> I love some people, but I don't love everybody. No, we're meant to love everybody. But I want to make sure I'm really clear. When he's talking about this here in 1 John, and when Jesus talked about it there in, in the upper room, it was not just the love that we have for the world, it's the love that we have for one another. And that's a New Testament term for the way that we relate to one another as Christians. That this love is meant to be on display uniquely so, powerfully so, in what this thing is called the church, that we love the church, we love God's people. And so there is this revelation of Christ that is meant to be in a very unique and powerful way known in us and very specifically in the church. Well, that's a great piece of information. I mean, this is great news. I mean, just right now that we can hopefully see that, but let's just be clear. If that's all we had this morning, then you should honestly leave disappointed and discouraged. It's like, well, that's great. So basically, you just raised the bar, and I, I wasn't even meeting the low bar, and now you just made it like, okay, love like Jesus. Like, oh, great. You know, I'm, I, mean, I mean, if I was already not a failure, now I think I'm really a failure. I mean, that's kind of how it could kind of be. And if that's all we had was a better display of love, honestly, that's where it would be. But that's not where it is. Because see, it's not just revealed. It's not just revealed in Jesus. It's now powered in Christ. That now there is a place that the love of God isn't just shown to us in Christ, but it's meant to be at work in us. It's true in Him and in you. It's true in Him. It's authentic. It's real in Jesus. And it's real in you. That's what he says. Again, just so you make sure you see it in the text, verse 8. He says it this way. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing, that new commandment, is true in him and in you? Wow. The love that God is looking for, it's not a fake thing. It's not meant to be just external. It's powered by him. I love the way it gives it to us, this in this sense that in Christ, when you believed upon him, we are infused 
with his love. He powers his love inside of us. So it becomes not something that's just that you're supposed to do, but it's something that he does inside of us. Think about it this way. Romans unpacks that for us in chapter 5, and he says, you know, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So he says, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believed on Jesus, then you are saved by faith. It's by believing in Jesus. It's, it's by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves. Your faith has made you have peace with God. Your faith has given you access into grace where we stand in grace. That's really, really good news, but it's done more. He goes on to say, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Wow, this is really good news. Hear it again, the love of God has, past tense, been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have believed upon Jesus, if you are born again, that person who's believed and and had this life transformation where you're, you're his and genuinely a follower of Jesus, more happened in that moment when you believed than you have any idea of. More happened in that moment, the very moment you were saved, Not only were you made right with God, not only did you have peace with God, not only did you enter into the grace of God, it says at that moment the Holy Spirit entered inside of you, something that had never happened before, something in that quality that the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of you as a follower of Jesus, so that now if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's in you. Paul would say, hey, if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not saved. You know, because that's who we are. We are people that now have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And that Spirit of God is working the love of God in our lives. He's now the source where that love that God is asking for, He's also supplying. That He's calling for it, but He's powering it in Christ. That this thing now becomes true. And that's part of what makes this thing so new. Because it was never possible before. I mean, the the love that he's calling for, what made it a new commandment, was new not just because it's revealed, but it's new now because it's the only time it's really ever been possible. It, It was emphasized a little bit in the Old Testament, but not to a great measure because it couldn't be done. But now the New Testament says it over and over and over and over because now in Christ it's possible. Now in Christ we have this power that now is available inside of us where we get to walk and can walk in the love of God, where he would work this out, and that becomes something that is true. That is something that comes this authentic, that's not plastic. That's really what that word true means. When it says, hey, this thing is true in him and in you, that true, the, the Greek word that's used there, has the idea of real or authentic or not fake or phony. Like, this is the real deal, and it's authentic in Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's authentic in you. This is just such good news. This is just such good news. See, if we had heard this outside of that and thought, okay, well, I just need to be loved, sometimes we almost picture it that way because sometimes it happens. I mean, I, I don't know if you have somebody in mind. You know, sometimes people, you know, they, they, they put on this version of Christianity that isn't authentic and it's kind of plasticky and it's like, oh, we did love everybody, you know, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if you really love everybody. I mean, it's like, I don't really get that, you know, and, but it's this external persona. Sometimes it happens that way and that's not what he wants. He says, I want you to actually have it. It's going to be powered in you. There's going to be the love of God inside your heart that's going to be this authentic thing that's going to flow out of you so that now, for the first time in history, for the first time, I mean, in in almost 4,000 years of human history in the Old Testament, now when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, I have something brand new for you. Nobody's done this. Nobody's walked in this until you can walk in it. It's now a new commandment. It's a commandment that's brand new, off the shelf. You can love people because of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. And this is really, really good news. Now, as we think about that, we think about how good that was as Jesus came and and dies on the cross, he now just takes it very quickly all the way to the end of the story. Keep back, go and read there in verse 8. He says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true or authentic in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Wow. 
This love that he's calling us to, this brand new love, isn't just revealed in Christ, powered in Christ. There's a powerful victory that's in him. So much so, he says, here's the thing, the darkness is passing away. Now, these are terms he's been using already through 1 John. If you want, go back and read all of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, and you'll feel it, where he's just talking about this world, and he uses this term darkness for sin and sorrow and suffering and evil, and he just says, you should know this. Darkness is lost. Darkness is a defeated foe. It's going away. It's it's passing away. When Jesus died on the cross, the victory was won. I mean, sin is defeated. Death is defeated. You know, we're still waiting for the full measure of that to work out, but there has been no doubt about it. Darkness is passing away. Now, this is really good news because sometimes we just need to fix that in our heart. Sometimes we almost get it in our head like we feel like love is passing away. Like, oh, it just seems like just so, and like darkness is gonna win the day. It's not so. Darkness is losing. The hatred, the animosity, the cruelty that is marking our world, it's on its last legs. It's on its final displays. It's like a puff of smoke that's, you know, making a big deal, but then it's just going to poof. And all the darkness, everything that's evil is going to be gone. As we step into eternity with heaven and with Jesus, there's going to be no more darkness. It's gone. Hatred, animosity, cruelty, it's done. Jesus won. He's the light that came. And so he's telling us here, that true light, which is Jesus, he's already shining. I mean, it's as if, you know, you could look at it and say, you know, we're not just, you know, I hope this works out in the end. It's like, no, it's going to work. He already won. Like the light is, it's conquering. It's, it's going to win. There's no doubt about it. Heaven's coming. Jesus wins. And the love of God wins. So that when heaven comes on the play, we're going to love God. And we're going to love people perfectly. And it's going to be beautiful. And so love is that which is going to last forever. Evil, hatred, animosity, it's passing, but love, this love of God, this brand new love of God, it's not temporary, it's not passing, it's eternal, and it's glorious. It's absolutely glorious. I mean, this is really, really exciting because that makes it new and continuing to be so. It's not that, well, it was new yesterday and we already broke it kind of thing, you know. It's like, no, this is new, and it will continuing to be so. It's going to be victorious. So we have an old commandment. It's always been God's plan. It's never like people didn't know that God wanted them to love people. He did. It was in the Old Testament. But now it's brand new in Jesus. When Jesus comes on the scene, it's now incredibly powerful and new. But it's a little bit more than that. We need to understand that it's not just old. It's not just new. It's essential. Let's go back and notice it. Let me start again from the beginning just so you can follow with me, and we'll pick up the next section. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you. But an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you've heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment. I write to you which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So, verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he's going, because darkness has blinded his eyes. Not too complicated, but really important that you understand it. It says if you love your brother, and you have this authentic love then you're walking in the light. That's really what this is. He says, if you have the love of God at work inside of you, then it's proof positive that you're walking with Jesus, that you're abiding in him because that's what he does. There there is that incredible space, again, as he says in verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light. And you're abiding in Christ. You have it because the love of God is being displayed in you. That's what he does. And that's the wonderful reality that's there that's helpful. That's really, really good. Probably not a whole lot we need to add to that, except that's a good thing. We need that. But what he spends more time on is the one who hates his brother. And he just simply says, if you do, then you're in darkness. End of story. If you are walking in hatred, then you cannot be walking with God. Can't happen. In fact, he just says it so clearly. Verse 11, it says, he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness, and does not know where he's going because he has, the, the darkness has blinded his eyes. Or go back and see it again in verse 9 when he started. 
He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. So he anticipates for us. He helps us understand there are going to be people who say, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with God. God and I are great. I love God. I just hate people. You know, it's just like, it's like we're great. And he's like, uh, no, you can't. You can't. If you say you and you, God are fine, and hatred is the thing that's happening in your heart, it cannot be. He says, if you're walking in hatred, you are walking in darkness. And he just gives it almost to us visually. I mean, I wish I could make you feel it right now. He says, if you're walking in hatred, you are stumbling, you are lost, you are blind. Can you just feel that for a moment as he describes it? Go back there as he kind of gives that out to us. He says in verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. Like you're not tripping, you're not you know, stumbling through life and stumbling through places. But if you hate your brother, in verse 11, you're in darkness and you're walking in darkness. I mean, can you just feel it for a moment? It's like you're, you're in a room and all the lights have been turned out. You can't see anything and you're like just stumbling around, like just trying to navigate somehow across the room that you cannot see. He says, if you're in hatred, that is where you are. You are in darkness. You don't know where you're going. You have no idea what you're doing because the darkness has blinded your eyes. You've, you've made that happen. Wow. So who are we talking about? Who is the one who hates his brother and is in darkness? Well, the first answer to that, it ought to be very, very clear, it's true for those who don't know Jesus. It's true for those who are unsaved, who don't have a relationship and you lack his life, you lack his love, you lack his light because you're not in him. Now, this is really, really important. I want to say this carefully, but may God make it land. See, the thing is, most people think they're going to heaven. They just do. I mean, every now and then you'll meet somebody who's like, man, I'm going to hell and it's going to be great. It's like, no, it's not, but at least you know where you're going, you know. Um, most people, it's like, well, I think, you know, if there is a heaven, I think I'm going to make it. Jesus said there's a broad road that people think they're going to make it. It's not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. There's only a narrow path. It's Jesus and Jesus alone, but there's a bunch of people who think they're going to make it. And one of the ways that we can define that and wake that up is there are some people who say, again, oh, God and I are great. I love God. I just don't love people. And I hate the church. I don't like going to church. So it's just me and God. We go up to the mountains and I just spend time with the trees and, and we're great. I don't go to church because I don't like God's people. I don't like being around them. They just frustrate me. And what he's telling you, if that is you, hey, just as carefully as we can say that, you're not saved. You're not his. And I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be cruel. If I can do anything, I'd wake you up because you can get saved. Like he would say, I could change you. I could make you new inside and the love of God would wash over you. The sins that you have would be forgiven and you could be a part of my kingdom and you could be a part of love. And if you're here this morning outside of Jesus, then part of it just needs to recognize it because there is this self-deception. Again, John says, hey, there's going to be these people who said, no, I'm good. I'm walking in the light. Me and God are totally good. It's like, you hate people. Like, how does that, that doesn't work. You can't live that life of hating people and loving God not possible. You're not his. And if that's you this morning, again, I don't say that to be cruel, but I am inviting you to a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about that more. But it's not just the unsaved. Let's also be clear. It can also be and is at times disobedient Christians, people who know Jesus and are failing to do this, are failing to live this, then they can walk in darkness. In fact, if we were just really clear with the text, that's the biggest kind of people he's talking to. Go back and notice it again. So he says it this way in verse 9. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother. Yeah, he's actually a brother. He's actually a brother in Christ, and you hate him. He says, and you're in darkness. Then you're walking in darkness. But you, it doesn't mean you're necessarily unsaved. It just means you're in darkness. Verse 11 says again, he who hates his brother is in darkness. doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that you're not doing well with God means you and God cannot be doing well. And again, part of that needs to be the wake-up call. Because again, there are sometimes people that live in this world, and maybe Christianity has settled into this low, lukewarm ebb of the last days. Maybe we're there. And so sometimes it gets to this place where people are like, well, you know, that's just me. And, and we have a hundred excuses why we don't actually love people. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I, mean, I love them, I just don't like them, you know. So it's kind of like a qualifying thing. Or I love some, I don't love all, you know. And, and, and you know, it's, it's not really my personality. They're extroverts and I'm just really not that. And we have a lot of excuses sometimes. But the, what this passage is doing is saying, there's no excuse for this. 
if you hate people, you just can't be doing well. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily unsaved. It just means that you need to get right with him and you need that wake-up call that kind of says, that cannot be good. If Jesus is the love of God portrayed and if the Holy Spirit is poured out inside of us and that's transforming us and, and he's light and he's love, it has to be that way in your life so that the follower of Jesus would do that. Let's say it a different way. This is a command, but it's also power. It's also light that dispels the darkness. Let me hit it both ways. It's a command. So when Jesus gives it, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Not rocket science. I'm sure you can figure it out. What's a commandment? A commandment is something to be obeyed. It needs to be obeyed. It's not an option. It's a commandment. Now, God gives us a commandment. There's no assumption here that this is going to be like a let go and let God moment. Like, oh, he's just going to do it without my help. You know, I don't actually have to do anything. No, not so. He says, I want you to, this is a command. This is a place where you say, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, you commanded, I said yes. You said do, I said okay. I mean, it has to be a command and it needs to roll across it that way. And love becomes obedience to his command. That's helpful. Why? Well, we have this weird generation. So Americans, sometimes we define love as an emotion where people will talk about, you know, I feel love and I don't feel love. And here's the weird thing. It's not really an emotion. I mean, I, I could just give it to you as an example. If you're married here this morning and you're doing well, you've already figured this out. You've already figured out love is not an emotion. Sometimes you can look at your spouse and feel love. Like, I should really love them. And other times you're like, I don't love you. <laughs> like, like, like you are just totally irritating me right now. I mean, just, I don't feel it. Now, if, if, if feeling is it, you would be, I'm in love, I'm out of love, I'm in love, I'm out of love. And honestly, that's where some of our world lives. But if you get it, you understand this love is not that. Sometimes the emotions are there and sometimes they're not, but you don't make your decision. You know, love is a decision. Love is a commitment. Love is a place where I said, I'm, I'm in. And, and we're here, and I love you, and nothing's going to change that. Love is there. Again, if your marriage is doing well, you've figured that out. If you're not doing well, can I call you to it? Love is obedience. Love is yes. And, and, and so there's a certain amount here that we're not being called to, like, well, you know, I hope I feel it one of these days. It's like, no, go love God's people. End of story. This is a command. This isn't something that you get to, like, well, you know, I thought I would think about it later. <laughs> it's like, I got to go, I got to love. I mean, he said love, I have to do that. And so there has to be a stepping forward of obedience. But here's the beauty. In Christ, what he calls us to do, he powers us to do. What he commands us to do, which we have to obey, the moment we take that step of obedience, there's power where he says, okay, now I will fill that with life. So we go back to that passage again where he tells us in Romans 5, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. It's inside of you. And he wants to, he wants to power it. And, and that love of God would power your life and help you to do that. And that's really, really powerful. But let's just process it through because if I don't say this well, I'm gonna leave some of you condemned in a way that I don't mean to. So this is true. If you know Jesus, the love of God is inside your heart. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. And the love of God is present in the work of the Spirit that would transform you. But you have something else as well. Uh, we've talked about it a bunch of times in 1 John. You still have this thing called the flesh. So it gave it to us, I'm sorry, in Galatians, but we, in, early in 1 John we talked about it, where Paul would say, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You need to walk in the, with the help of the Spirit, and don't, So, because if you do that, then you're not going to do this flesh thing that you have. And then he defines it. He says, for the flesh, lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do those things that you wish. If you are really a Christian, you have something that actually the world doesn't have. You really do have this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde syndrome in a way that the world will never get to. It's like, you have this new person who loves God, and then you got this old flesh that hates you, is selfish and, and living, and they're both present inside of you. Now, the flesh is real. In fact, we still struggle with sin, which is why we need 1 John 1, 9, which is just right before this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. I mean, our flesh does that, and so it's present. So please understand me clearly. If I've made it sound like if you're a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't have the flesh to deal with, not true. Not true. I'm not saying like the love of God would be the only thing present in your life. It will be in eternity, but today 
You have the flesh, but you also have the spirit. You have the spirit of God inside of you. And the question is, so which one are you going to walk in? Which one are you going to lean into? Which one are you going to abide in? Are you going to abide in Jesus and walk in the Spirit, or are you going to walk in your flesh? Now, if you walk in your flesh, he goes on and tells us, and I won't go through it for time's sake, Galatians, if you do that, it's going to be ugly, it's going to be anger, it's going to be outbursts of wrath, it's going to be ugh, and bad stuff happens from your flesh, and, that, and that's what will happen if you walk in it. But if you walk in the Spirit, if you lean into the Spirit who's inside of you, then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, here's what would happen. If you'd lean into the Spirit, this would be fruit. Oh, there is so much here. It's fruit because it's not works. It's not something you're striving to do. He's now doing it in you. You've stepped into it, and now he's powering that. So this becomes the overflow of that relationship. It's a singular thing. It's not the fruits are. It's the fruit is. It's not that there are eight fruits of the Spirit. There is one. So there's a singular. He says the fruit of the Spirit is, and that is the idea that it's love. In the Greek, it kind of puts it as that's not the prominent thing, and then everything else is love worked out. The, what the Holy Spirit will do is he'll help you to love. When he already told us, that's everything. You know, that the, the love of God has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit would help you to love. That would be joyful love, peaceful love, long-suffering love, kind love, goodness and love, faithful love, gentle, self-control. Love does that, but it's what he's doing. He's drawing you and I so that the love of God would be that which we walk in, and there it is possible. So it's a command. It's a command that has to be obeyed. You can't have this unless you obey. There's not a sense that you should be able to wait, like, okay, you know, maybe someday I'll get there. You know, today you need to get there. Like, okay, God, help me to love people and help me to love your people. And then he'll power it. And as you lean into the spirit, you'll actually have it. Not in a fake way, not in a plastic way where it's just pretending to like people. You'll be like, that's weird. I actually think I love them. I mean, it's like, I started, and then all of a sudden God began melting my heart, and I think I actually, I think I actually loved them. It's just kind of weird. It's like, never done that. I mean, it's a really powerful, powerful reality. That's this incredible thing that he's telling us he has. This old, new commandment that is not just an extra. It's not an optional piece of the Christian life. It is Christian life. This love is everything that we are. Wow. I mean, can, can you hear how important this is? Let me go back to what Jesus said just to help you understand it maybe a little bit more. This is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we've read this over and over this morning. Hopefully you're hearing it. It's brand new, brand new, never existed before. I love you, Jesus says. Now I want you to love the way I love. I want you to take the love that is mine, that I'm loving you with, and I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other in a powerful way. And then he simply says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can you hear how essential this is? I mean, he says, do you want the world to know that Jesus is real? Do you want the world to know that you're a follower of Jesus? This is how they'll know. This is it. This is the thing. It's not your knowledge. It's not, well, I'm a Bible nerd. I know all kinds of Bible questions. That's not going to work. It's not going to be your information. It's not going to be your, 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 it's going to be love. Love is that which shows the world who Jesus is. Love is that which is meant to define us in a way that Jesus says, this is the defining quality. This is the defining quality of my people in the world. So let's talk about this for a few moments. How's that working? I mean, in our world today? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at our world. And, and I'm with some that have said, I'm not sure that the world has ever been as divided as it is now. You know, I find myself thinking of Jesus when he was talking about the last days. He talked about it in Matthew 24, and he said, in the last days, you know, many are going to be offended. And I find myself thinking, uh-huh, like, like everybody's offended. Like everybody's mad. I mean, everybody's like, they, they go from, you know, they're so mad at everybody because everybody, you know, there's, there's, there's this constant anger that seems to be happening everywhere, that seems to be almost defining our culture, that our culture feels like it's an angry, outraged culture, offended culture, maybe like never before. Ed Stetzer, who is the, um, 
director of the Billy Graham Center, said it this way. He says, a lot of people have lost their lives to outrage and are losing their ability to relate to people. People are being discipled by their news stations. They are being shaped by their social media feeds, producing more and more waves of division. And I found myself thinking, this is just so true. Like, that's our world. Like, you just can almost feel it. Like, it's just, everybody's just getting so frustrated, and everybody's getting angry, and, and, and so divided. That's the world in yet we live. That's the place in yet we live. And yet you and I are being called to love in an age of outrage. I think he went on to write a book about it. I actually haven't read it, but I think that's the title if you're interested. But it's a great idea that we're in this age of outrage. We are called to love. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing. Now, if I'm right, again, that's just, you can disagree with me if you want. But if our world is becoming more angry and more outraged, then we should stand out like we've never stood out before. I mean, the love of God in, a, in an age of outrage, that'd be pretty powerful if we could have that. If we would be known by God's love, that would be amazing. But see, therein lies part of the problem. I wonder how well we're doing. I found myself thinking about this, and about a week ago, um, Ed Taylor, who's the pastor of Calvary Chapel up in Aurora, Colorado, he had put out a little media post, and he just simply said, a great tragedy has overtaken the church in 2020, 2021, and probably in 2022. For so many, causes have eclipsed Christ as common ground. It ought not to be. He says, here's the problem. I mean, the world is so separated and the world is so divided, but the problem is it's happening in the church. Now, that's where this love is supposed to be known, right? This is where this love is. He says, here's this thing where we are supposed to be the people of God who love Jesus and love each other. Instead of being centered in Christ, loving Jesus, and Jesus being the center of all we are, causes have taken the place of Christ. And that's become the, the beachhead of unity of so many people and of division. So you know how it works, right? You know the culture in which we live. People tend to rally around either they're, you know, worried about COVID or they, they think COVID's a conspiracy or they're pro-vaccine or, or anti-vaccine or they're, you know, totally talking about, you know, social justice and racism or others are, are going other ways. There's political divides, there's social divides. And here's what I want to tell you. Those are all so many things, but none of those things should define us. It is actually possible in the body of Christ to love people that you disagree with. It is actually possible to come and say, you know what, you know, I disagree with you, but I totally love you. You know, I totally, I mean, we are family. And I want to tell you, that would be amazing, but it's not happening as far as I can see it sometimes. Families are being divided. Churches are being divided. And it's not because we disobey Christ. It's not because we're saying, okay, you guys don't love Jesus. We're like, well, you know, causes have taken the place of what Christ is supposed to be. And Christ is supposed to be the thing that unites us. It's supposed to be uniting us in a way that the world sees it. I just want to tell you, that's the invitation. The invitation to you and I is to say, okay, this is what we are called to live in, in a way that maybe this could be seen. So let's go back to that passage that Jesus said when he's explaining it. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So honest questions. Let's just begin with us as a church. Is that us? I, I, I can't honestly answer that really well. I mean, honestly, I, could, you know, be, I hope so. I hope you came in this morning and somehow you just knew it. It's like, man, there's just something here. These people seem to love each other. <laughs> I mean, it's just these people, they're, 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 the love of God feels present. I mean, I, I hope it happens that way. I, I know some have described it in times past. I hope it is that sometimes even just walking in the doors, it's like, man, there's just, there's, a, there's something here. And if you honestly began to look at it, you go, so you guys are kind of different people. I mean, some of you are young and some of you, well, um, you're less young, and, 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 and yet you guys seem to get along. Some of you have kids. Some of you don't have kids. Some of you are married, and some of you are single. Some of you are incredible, brilliant college graduates, and some of you, not so much. And, and yet there's this thing where you come and say, so what, what unites that? What, what causes people who could be so divided not to be divided? It's meant to be Christ. It's meant to be like, hey, we love Jesus. I mean, like Jesus, and we love each other. And it's not, be, I mean, we actually can disagree. And I mean, I hope you know that. We have people in our church that disagree about all the issues that I've just shared. I mean, and I'm so glad there are. 
There's not a sense that you have to agree with all of our political light. I mean, that's not who we are. We're not a political organization. We're a Jesus organization. We love him and we love each other. And oh, that the world would see that. Oh, that the world would come in and go, what is that? I don't see that anywhere. I mean, like, I can't, we can't even get along in my family, you know, and, and we have a lot of things kind of in common. And then there's this people who you guys shouldn't get along. You guys shouldn't even like each other. I mean, I know that. And you should say, I know that. We love each other, though. Not because it's us. The love of God is in our heart. And we love God's people. And we love God. And that changes us. That's who we're supposed to be. So I hope that's who we are as a church. And I'm asking for it. I'm praying that as we move into 2022, we would be a church known where that's there. I hope it feels that way. But let me leave the church and just talk about you for a moment. So does anybody recognize you as a follower of Jesus because of the love you have for his people. That's what he said. By this will all will know that you are his disciple if you have love for one another. Is anybody? Again, I'm not trying to be too critical. I don't want to make it condemnation, but I'm just telling you the danger is that we could still live here and go kind of be the place where John is. Like, I'm fine. God and I are fine. I just don't really like people. And, you know, it's fine. You know, I'm still working on that. And so instead of saying, no, I want it to be this way. I want, I want my neighbors. I want my family. I want my friends to be able to go, that's, you, you actually like love church? I mean, you like love those people? I mean, I worked with some of them. I know who they are. And you're like, I know, I love them anyway. You know, it's like we're family in Christ, you know? I mean, it's cool, you know? And, and, and you can be able to say, I love these people. And, and, and hopefully somebody's looking at you and going, why do you love people? Why do you love the church? I don't, and, and, there, I, and it's like you are, and then to be able to know, hey, it's not you, it's God, it's working in that. Somehow it's how we're supposed to be known. So again, I, I just want to tell you, I hope it is. I hope it is happening, and if not, let's pray for it to happen. Let's pray for it, for somebody to come to you and say, you know, you look like a Christian because you love people, and you seem to love, I, I, I don't see that anywhere else, you know, and somehow that made you different than anybody else I know because that's how we're supposed to be known. It's, it's not our knowledge. It's not our wisdom. It's not our Bible, you know, perceptions. It's not uh, our theological accuracy. It's the love of God that's supposed to define our lives in a way that people know we're His by the love we have, that we walk in that. And I just want to tell you, that's what He's holding out to you and me today. He's calling us to it. So let's end there. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, and whatever it is you have open, and we're going to take a moment and pray and ask that God meets us in this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're outside of this and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We're inviting you to it. God fixes people. If you're outside of this and you recognize, I don't love people. And I don't love, I mean, I don't have that. I don't have the love of God inside me. I don't have the spirit of God inside me. Maybe you thought you and God were fine, but you're honestly saying, I don't have that. Then today's a good day to give your life to Jesus give your life to Jesus. Ask him to save you. Ask him to pour out his spirit inside you and change you. We'd love to talk to you more about that. But maybe you're his and maybe you're doing really well. Well, it's a good day to keep going well, to strengthen your hands and keep moving. Or maybe you would come and say, hmm, I'm struggling. Then it's a good day to be obedient. It's a commandment. It's not an option. It's not a, a suggestion. It's a commandment. Love each other. Love God's people. And ask him to take those steps of obedience to do it and then ask him to fill it inside you, that the fruit of the Spirit would just blow up your heart in a way that would cause the love of God to be known through you so that not only do you know it, but the world around you knows Jesus is real. So would you take a moment, talk to him about that, I'll do the same, and then we'll close together and worship in just a moment.
Jesus, thank you so much that you are the life of God, that you are the light of the world, and that you are love personified. You are love just made real. Thank you that you are. I pray that you'd help us to see that, and I pray that any of you that are outside that, that don't know you, that honestly recognize they don't have this just change, that the Spirit of God is not living inside of them. God, would you save now? Would you draw these that don't know you today to a genuine relationship with Jesus? They would be forgiven, and they would be changed. And in that process of being changed, sanctified, Lord, would you do that now, these that don't know you? Those that are yours who are doing well, would you help them not to to just slow down in this, but they would grow in love, um, that they would continue to excel in this. But Lord, I pray for any that are outside of that. They're yours, but man, they're doing badly right now. They're walking in darkness. They're stumbling. They don't know where they're going. And, And so much of it is that hatred, animosity has consumed their heart and they, they're frustrated and they're angry all the time. God, I pray for rescue. I pray that you'd pour out the love of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in their heart. You'd help them to walk in the Spirit and that that love would be manifest. I pray that you'd help them to be obedient to your command to show love. And I pray that would so be just at work in us that the world would see it in us, but our community would see it in us that Roswell is around us, would look at us and say, they they love each other. I don't understand it, but that's a place where there's something genuine and authentic and love is there. I know that's what you do. I'm just praying that's what would be happening here. Help, Lord. I pray for that now, surrendering all of this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.